and welcome along to another episode of the Glow West podcast, where we chat about sex, sexuality and the body. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and as always, I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society and, of course, me with sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise as it really does help to keep the mics on, or please pop over to Apple and rate and review. Today, we're discussing the digital world and how sex, safety and humour and our digital lives all interact together. I'm joined by the authors of a very exciting book called Not Safe for Work, and I'll get them to jump in and explain their, their awesome book in a minute. So first up, I have Kylie Jarrett. She is an associate professor in the Department of Media Studies at Maynooth University. She's been researching the commercial web for decades, and she's co-author of Google and the Culture of Search, and author of Feminism, Labour and Digital Media, Media The Digital Housewife. Next up, we have Susanna Passanen, who is the Professor of Media Studies at the University of Turku in Finland, and she has an interest in studies of sexuality, media and affect, and is a prolific writer of many, many, many books, which we will dive into later. And then we also have Ben Light, who is Professor of Digital Society at the University of Salford in the UK. He's interested in how we interact with digital technologies on an everyday basis. You're all absolutely welcome. How are we keeping today? Yeah, we're good, yeah. We're surviving. We're Not bad. <laughs> it's okay. We're getting there. Uh, okay, so you, your book is really, I suppose, an amalgamation of everything that I love. So it's sex, humour, social media, and things that are a bit, a little bit risky, which is, you know, all, all my boxes ticked anyway. Do one of you want to give me a brief overview of what the book t- touches on and the goals in the book? Yeah, so um, the book uh, really came about um, uh, from a, a kind of joke, really. We, we all decided we wanted to have uh, our names on a book with the title Not Safe for Work. Um, it, it, it kind of emerged as a bit of a, uh, a, a, bit of a joke at a conference somewhere. Um, but the more we started thinking about what that meant and what, what gets flagged as not safe for work in social media, it became increasingly clear that there was uh, actually something quite significant to talk about in relation to to those things that do get flagged as not safe for work and why they get flagged as not safe for work and what that might mean more meaningfully. So uh, across the book, we do a a survey of the hashtag, the hash NSFW, which forms the title of the book, and look at the kinds of things that that people flag and, and the politics of that. Then we take a look at uh, uh, one of the things we identify, is, of course, that it's, it's very much associated with sex and sexual content, and, and in particular, uh, women's bodies and gay men's bodies are kind of flagged as kind of core parts of not safe for work. But that doesn't seem to gel with what uh, kind of protected categories in terms of uh, in terms of workplace environments. So then we kind of track that through um, things like dick pics and um, types of things that do get flagged. Um, and then also looking at the porn industry and then uh, and then taking it quite literally and looking at where work becomes unsafe uh, and how that is actually very different to issues to do with sexual content necessarily. So that's kind of that's the broad overview of, of the book at uh, uh, Thank, no, thanks, Kylie. And I think that's going to be interesting because you're all coming from very different backgrounds. Kylie, you're in Ireland, Susanna, you're in Finland, and Ben, you're over in the UK. So our sense of humour is going to be really different, I'd imagine. Um, or, well, I don't know, maybe it's going to be all the same. <laughs> so let, let's start with the humour aspect, because your book touches on that a lot. And like, thankfully, because a lot of academic books can be quite hard going. So a bit, having a bit of humour in it is, is a really accessible way to um, connect with the readers. So, but talk us through how humor interacts with this hashtag and also how it interacts with sex, risk and digital experiences. Ben, I might go over and start with you on that one. Yeah, sure. Okay, thank you. I mean, I think, I mean, thanks to um, like um, Susanna's digging and then her kind of like attachment to like the web for so long, um, I think we can go back actually and think about, I mean, I think one of the things that really stuck me was the um, whole nimping thing that we talk about, which I knew nothing about until Susanna unearthed it. And, and just thinking about humor in that kind of, of, of context. So, you know, the nimping, the idea of like, kind of, it was 
um, sending a file around in an office environment that basically said you are looking at gay porn and it's used, you know, used as this idea of like you know the, this mixture of kind of sexual shame, the risk of looking at this kind of thing, the risk of looking at kind of um, gay pornography in in an office space. You know, it kind of that link between almost like the digital and the um, these notions of risk and safety, and then obviously that flipped into the workplace. Is a, is a really good kind of background to, to where some of that comes because for as long as the internet has existed, um, humour you know has has permeated that in different kinds of ways, and um, so so although like not safe work is there is this tag that is there and is and is used in some ways as a way to kind of engage people as well as as this as is this warning. That, that I think again, Susanna, you came up with right at the beginning this idea of it having this kind of tension between it. It kind of invites this thing, thinking that there's going to be something humorous potentially here or sexual. I suppose there's that always that double thing. You're never quite sure what you're going to get, but often it is with with the humor side of it, and that's how it's kind of morphed morphed into being and and the, and the way that we then talk about that. Um, I'll stop there for a second in case anybody else wants to jump in because there's loads more to say about the humor, you know, kind of side of things. Well, yeah, I'd love to hear about it from Susanna, because again, the, the Scandinavian sense of humour, is that the same experience as Ben has been describing? Oh, well, I don't, I don't think as, as authors, we have really very clashing um, differences <laughs> in our sense of humour. Um, but I think uh, in, in studies of social media or any kind of cultural inquiry, humour, it's a tricky topic. I mean, studies of humour are notoriously unfun. Uh, it's like a field that's, I'm being a bit nasty now, but it's like, it's like certain strands of game studies. They're really, they really love a taxonomy. So like you get sarcasm that doesn't touch on parody and then there's irony and they are very distinct. Um, so it's like this kind of sense-making exercise very easily. And in social media inquiry, um, humor easily gets lost despite the centrality of humor in terms of the attention economy. I mean, what we click on, what we like, um, how memes operate, what kinds of reaction gifs we use and so forth. So it's kind of, it's everywhere and, and ubiquitous, but then fun easily disappears in academic inquiry. Um, and also when it comes to discussions on sex and porn, um, as if those, again, we're in this taxonomy where porn does not touch humour, they can't exist in the same realm, or sex and fun <laughs> can't really coexist. Um, but I think with any discussion of humour, we get to ambiguity, and that's also something that's very crucial for, for cultural inquiry. The fact that things are simultaneously this and that, that there are these tensions that don't become solved, that the meaning of things isn't simple or straightforward. Um, and hence you have to look at any phenomena from multiple angles to sort of see how it might at the same time, um, let's say, in, in living um, bodies add to our liveliness and, and completely dull us in ways that are uh, destructive, um, how the same thing um, can sort of... Uh, how would I say, add to well-being of bodies and then, um, and then do something quite the opposite. And then, of course, looking at more detail, um, our certain instances of humour, it's also interesting how, how humour sort of disappears or doesn't disappear in the different case studies. So, for example, looking at meme culture, uh, what kinds of examples of porn uh, emerge in meme culture. I mean, the nimping that Ben mentioned is like a proto-meme practice in a way, kind of practical joking. Um, so there's this kind of tendency to laugh at um, other people. So let's say uh, people whose sexual preferences are either queer or kinky or both, or whose bodies differ from the kind of very narrow norm of what's considered hot. So, for, so here's something like the classic image of lemon party with with aging male bodies having a threesome, you know, would sort of exemplify a pornographic meme. Um, but otherwise, um, otherwise sort of, um, it's, it's interesting how humour is present and then where it sort of seems not to be. God, I'd almost forgotten about the existence of, of that meme. Yeah, that limb party. We're going back in time there. Um, Kylie, you want to come in on that there? Yeah, I just one of the things that also emerged when you think about how humor circulates in a workplace and how humor can be really risky in a workplace, uh, and it that that blurring of uh, as Susanna said that the bodies that the humor gets attached to the bodies that um, humor verging into gross out 
gets attached to and how that can be used to boundary ride norms of of bodies, particularly within a workplace. We're supposed to laugh at the nymph. We're supposed to laugh at the thought of someone looking at gay porn. Uh, We're supposed to laugh at something, at a gay male body um, in the workplace because that's an outsider practice and that's and 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 how that then circulates within within a workplace environment can can be quite toxic and and uh, uh um and suck the fun out of the humor and the risk at the same time so Susanna said it's all very ambiguous and it's all very contextual um uh and again that's part of the probably the reason why the books around and the research around humor is so humorless is because it's just so damn difficult to 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 explore in any kind of meaningful way outside of its context I definitely noticed that in in my time studying porn, there's no humor or there is no joy. It's just this battle all the time. And it's all about violence and sexual assault and all these screaming headlines. And, you know, in the meantime, there's, there's parody porn going on. And, you know, there's like the blooper reels and like people are showing that they actually really enjoy sex and humor being combined. And then if you look at, you know, um, porn performers, social media, sometimes, sometimes they're just really, really fun or, you know, and going to the gym or whatever happens to be. And it's almost a world away from how academia looks at sex in this dry, no pun intended, humorless kind of way. And it's like, what is that disconnect? Do we have to prove that we aren't personally watching it or are we not allowed to admit that sex and porn can be fun things or what what is the reason behind that do you think i think when it comes to porn it's it's how kind of the particular politics of the debate and then it's also about methodological choices so there's been so much focus on kind of narrative and and politics of representation and then there's the kind of media effect paradigm, the ill that porn is seen to do in the world in particular, heterosexual relations, what it's doing to masculinity, what it's doing with femininity and so forth. Um, and I mean, I've been working on porn for almost 20 years at this point, which is quite something. Um, and I mean, I, I agree. Uh, often when reading porn studies, especially uh, the older stuff, it sort of would be surprising that people actually masturbate to porn. The bodies enjoying the stuff are not really present. Um, outside the framework of kind of harm and violence or some kind of dubious impact. But then again, looking at sexology, I came across this beautiful blurb for um, Oxford University Press book on kind of sexology that deals with pleasure. And and according to the publisher in 2010 or something, um, they present a new controversial theory according to which uh, sex is not merely about reproduction. It can also be about pleasure. And as someone who, (laughs) what I am 45 years old, I have had sex multiple times in my (laughs) life and never for reproductive purposes. So I felt very vindicated by this uh, controversial (laughs) new theory. Oh my God, that's pretty, you'd have to have a lot of confidence to to write that down. (laughs) Like, that's absolutely not a new thing. Wow. That, that's confidence is one word for it right? <laughs> well yeah yeah that's true that that's our politically correct uh take on that but you know and you were saying we were saying there about um you know how the joy is stripped out of things and and you know how we pretend we're not interested in sex for this very you know professional purposes but you look a lot as well about the idea of deplatforming, and a lot of social media sites are just so sex negative like Trying to get an ad on social media as a sex educator can be really, really difficult. Um, Sex workers are routinely kicked off social media because they just happen to exist on social media. Um, Like, so not even if they are like soliciting or whatever term they happen to use. Um, Or even things like Shauna Scott from Sex Shop uh, tried to put up an ad for cervical cancer awareness and that got taken down because of who she was, even though it had nothing to do with her actual business. So, talk to me about the social media and the deplatforming and and why you're concerned about that legitimately so um yeah it, it became uh, when we started writing the book uh again as i said you know that's a bit of kind of oh this sounds interesting but increasingly it became evident that sex was being pushed off social media and even more so in the 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 lead up to um to the publication of the book it kind of got held up for for reasons that are a bit uh, not worth talking about, but in that interim period, we just watched sex being scraped from uh, the internet. 
when we were, uh, I think when we were doing the draft of the book, even up to the draft, the proofing stage, we had all these lovely statements about how great Tumblr was, as Tumblr was this site for um, body positive movements and and, and uh, sex positive movements and, and queer movements and trans movements and subcultures and communities and for people to, to express uh, uh, sexuality and sexual identities. Um, but in the interim, uh, Tumblr's sex ban came in and all of a sudden all of those sites were stripped from uh, Tumblr. Uh, so we ended up having to do some massive rapid rewrites, uh, putting things like, except Tumblr until December, you know, um, into, into our final proofs. And so it, it, was, it was kind of emblematic of why this book actually needed to be written because um, it's just becoming worse and worse. Uh, and in particular, in relation to the, as an effect of the uh, foster sester laws that were introduced in the States in 2018, which um, effectively reverse a longstanding principle, what they refer to as the safe harbor principle, which says that platforms aren't publishers of content. So they're not liable for what users do on those sites. And it's been, it's been in place for a long time. Um, but this kind of overturns that in relation to sexual content. So publishers suddenly become liable for sexual content, which is conflated with sex trafficking that somehow sexual content equates to the trafficking of sex or the selling, selling of sex also becomes associated with the trafficking of sex. So this, this law, which is ostensibly about stopping sex trafficking, has just made it really, really dangerous or, or for platforms to host sexual content. So it, it's just being stripped from everything. Um, yeah. It's not even it's a huge content. problem. Like not, you know, there's been images of, say, a woman, and again, in the, this situation, it was a black woman because we know this is disproportionate as well. There is a racial element of if she was gently holding her breasts, it wouldn't get posted. But it, if it looked like she was slightly squeezing them, if there is a tiny indent in the skin, it would get taken down as like explicit. And then you're going, that's re like. That's quite like someone sat in a room and made that law and looked at like, oh, well, if there's like a one percent indention in the skin, then that this is sexual content, which is bizarre. And um, Ben, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, it was really just to um, add to what um, Kylie was saying. And he's saying one of the most basic things, I suppose, which I would say. Um, but this, it, a lot of this is really fundamentally about money. If, we, if you know, if we think about it, 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 I mean, it is. So obviously, we've got this idea that sex is not some. Well, sex is something that can only be spoken about in certain contexts, in certain you know kinds of ways. Um, and we talked a bit about that in relation to the sex and humour, and you know, it's very much contextual. But if you if you think about it, a lot of, a lot of this kind of um, and I never thought I'd end up be looking at kind of the terms and conditions of websites and the governance policies. You know, you hear the word governance, you think, oh my god, that's dull. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, people that study governance, sorry. You know, but actually that we we ended up looking at that and 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 you know you see the kinds of things that are in and are out, and it's very much about keeping an audience and a, and a population of users on board because if you you know upset people, they're going to leave. If they leave, the numbers drop advertising revenues drop because the story about we've got this many wonderful users on our platform loses it so it's that so you get the economic kind of element coming coming into it as well um, as and that being conflated with risk in terms of risk to a particular business as well that was just the other thing I was going to add on to what you were saying Kylie and it, but I mean that's also I mean it's very paradoxical um, in the sense that the um, community standards of Facebook currently, they uh, acknowledge the value of discussions on sex when it's about sexual uh, violence um, and kind of unequal relations of power, but they draw the line, however, as their phrasing goes to um, any kind of communication that uh, aims to uh, aid sexual um, relations between users. So any kind of attempt to um, connect sexually uh, is excluded from the sociability of social media. So it's kind of a sociability without sexuality, which is very interesting. And at the same time, and I would say that all kinds of sexual content uh, beyond the kind of sexiness that uh, Instagram, for example, allows for, that's kind of a template for attractiveness. Um, I mean, sexual content in many shapes and forms uh, is crucial to what keeps us going and, and what attracts us to sites. So in addition to the kind of risk that users will be offended and leave, that Ben mentioned, there's also, because Facebook and Instagram, they are adver adversing platforms. So they want to uphold the value of the company, the brand name, um, as not like a smart peddler, 
but a safe, welcoming, something that, you know, McDonald's will uh, be happy to advertising and McDonald's doesn't want to put their ads next to pictures of somebody eating ass. So it's about the interest of advertisers. It's about the interest of the platform. Um, and then it's about interests of users, but in very kind of vague ways, because the committee standards basically argue that, you know, if it's offensive to someone, then it has to go when it's about sexuality. But with two something billion users, I mean, it's, many things are going to be offensive to many people. So this uh, principle of the platform being responsible for the content published that uh, Kylie mentioned, oddly enough, it doesn't scale. It doesn't extend beyond sex. So hate speech a different thing, um, political uh, political misinformation, a big debate going on, but they just don't um, they don't scale the same politics, the same policy on it. So it seems that sex really is this kind of, um, in a way, theme and topic that's really crucial to people's lives, but something that isn't easy to monetize um, in the model that most social media beyond now Twitter is the only one left that allows for different kind of content. Speaking of the, the monetization part, like Facebook have now introduced Facebook dating, um, which just seems like I'd rather go to the dentist than do Facebook <laughs> dating like and have like a three root canals rather than be hooked up with random people on Facebook for dating. But like, so, so it's okay if they have control over it, but not if we do it by ourselves. Kylie, did you want to come in there? I want no, to comment no. on the dating thing uh, because Christian Muller just pointed out uh, last week that the dating options of Facebook are, you know, I'm looking for friendship, I'm looking for long-term committed partnership or something else or other. So you can't date for sex <laughs> since dating apps uh, are not used for hooking up ever, uh, or at least not on fa in Facebook world. Uh, other purposes might extend to sex, but those are desires that dare not speak their name. I was actually going to comment a bit more on the on the monetization issue, just in that it's it was a big own goal from Tumblr to take the sex off the site. That its share value plummeted, and it's been sold again for you know a, a, a fraction of what it had been sold for a few years beforehand. It's just lost the traffic uh, because we talk about it. So the book we talk about, about uh, not safe work content as both an attractive and a repulsor. So it is part of those kind of flows and you take it away and you know, you're left without it. So possibly that's driving um, Facebook's uh, attempt to get into the online dating uh, market, uh, but clearly not into the hookup app market, which is a whole other set of, um, of dynamics that they're clearly avoiding yeah. um, because they're so white bread. Absolutely fascinating. But okay, the, Cupid for our times. Yeah, which <laughs> exactly. God, that's depressing. <laughs> Jesus. But the, the queer, the Tumblr thing is interesting because a lot of that was a queer space and a lot of the content on there was queer sexuality or queer porn or fan fiction or, you know, it actually provided a bit of a respite to the mainstream porn industry, which is, you know, it's very hetero. It, it's, very specific in the tropes that it has sometimes around what sex is whereas tumblr offered that nice reprieve from that sometimes and in the early days people said oh where, where can i go for porn that isn't mainstream porn i used to say oh you can have a look on tumblr and now that's that's kind of gone so do you think the queer aspect of that was was instrumental in it or was it just the actual sex part in in getting taken down well, I think mainly it got taken down um, because although uh, kind of uh, machine learning has been applied for a long time to spot child porn in social media, I mean, for more than a decade, Tumblr didn't do it. So they had a child porn issue um, and then Apple's app store wouldn't allow for distributing the app because of the child porn, but also because of the sex and porn. So they decided to just do away with all the sex and while it was a very stupid move, I mean, <laughs> once Tumblr was uh, priced at 1.1 billion and then it was sold for 3 million um, after the, like six months after the porn ban, but actually it might've been a, a smart move for, for Verizon that owned Tumblr at that point, because again, it helped to sort of bolster the brand image of this respectable tech company that does responsible things in terms of, of content. So again, the kind of monetary value, what can be extracted, Tumblr never made money. They, they had users, but they never really made money um, in the same way that something like Facebook keeps on keeps on doing. So the monetary value, the cultural, social value of sexual content, they 
just didn't meet um, on that. So I think it was the, the child porn, although they still, they didn't do away with the Nazis. The Nazis are still there. The porn bots are still there. So, I mean, my sense is that it was less about the kind of queerness of the sexual content because you really had everything, like the whole spectrum of stuff was there. Um, it, it was the kind of um, access to app store distribution. And then again, the kind of um, how value is, is um, generated. I mean, Tumblr was no great financial success. It's interesting where the money aspect um, comes into it, yeah. Well, if we if we delve a bit deeper into that and, and you look again at the hashtag not safe for work and obviously a lot of porn is, is marked with that, but then we you also look at issues in the workplace. And we do have people who seem to think it's acceptable to watch porn in the workplace for whatever reason that they're just fine or even on the bus or on public transport which is kind of bizarre to me but how do you touch on that in the book that that relationship between porn risk humor sex and and work and 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 that digital experience especially now because i suppose we're all we're all online and we're all working from home and digital lives that way um what about yourself ben on that oh where to start um so i think again it goes you, I mean, I suppose the, the, our take it was like thinking about these ideas of like, yeah, sex, um, humor, risk at work. How does that play out? So we actually, and it goes right back to some of the, if we go through some of that, going right back to the beginning where we were talking about humor as well, looking at humor at work in terms of what's allowed, what's not allowed, what jokes you can make, what jokes you can't make, um, whether that, and who you can make jokes about. So if you look in, again, it's like going back to that whole area of fun and looking at um, how, say, management studies, which we looked at, kind of approaches the study of humour at work. And it's one of the driest subjects ever <laughs> that you will come across. But it's very much along the lines of, you know, is, is humour, is it seen as like a form of resistance, you know, to kind of take the mick out of our joke about your, um, you know, your managers? Um, what, can, what can you say? What are you allowed to say about sex? Um, at work or how can sex present itself at work over time so we talk about in book for example um, uh, Pirelli calendars so those calendars that you might see up in, a, in an office somewhere that's got like the the scantily clad woman sometimes topless sat on the bonnet of a car somewhere and how at one point sex at work was acceptable in that kind of way and how it's kind of moved um, through that process and it's, and it's not been acceptable even looking at some of there's a book on um like romance and dating at work given we were just talking about dating as well where it's taught about it's good to have kind of sexual relationships at work because people will get married and it means you'll keep them in their jobs because they'll stay in the same location together so very instrumental views of what sex can mean at work um through to then obviously the the, the stories of um you know people being found out for having an affair at work because they went and had sex in the work gym and the, the video was the security video recorded them. So the digital, in a sense, has kind of played a part um, in, in, that, in that context as well, going right through to then what you are allowed to look at at work, um, what, you know, what policy documents say, what access to technology is like, you know, do you have to put your mobile phone in a locker somewhere if you work, say, in a call centre? Are you allowed to have it out on your desk or not? What are you are allowed to look at? Can you look at it in lunch breaks? all of that kind of thing. So there's the, there's the whole, what you're allowed to do from a like access to devices, whether you can actually use the device that you use for work for personal purposes, which is a very strange thing that we're living at the moment, given that I'm currently um, using my own computer at home for work and for um, personal use as well. So that kind of collapse of like, um, you know, you have to be careful, like what's open on your screen when you open, when you share your screen and go, oh, have I shared the right thing? Um, you know, <laughs> thankfully, the funniest one I've seen so far is just somebody sharing their bank details, like they've got their online banking open. Um, but uh, yeah, so so there's all of that that kind of comes into, which which only goes back to as well, thinking about, I think we talk a bit about um, teleworking as well and the history of, of that and how, you know, that, that the, the, um, space in your home which again a lot of us are kind of experiencing this invasion of work into your personal space home and what does that mean in terms of safety and risk in terms of your own personal health for example how do you get away from work when work is at home now for, for many people as well which kind of presents itself in that way i think one of the the other things we also talked about was the increase of risk um with that blurring of 
the device. So, for instance, we talk about uh, how the kind of uh, uh, geographic location facilities of many hookup apps, for instance, and queer hookup, hookup apps, can out someone's sex, uh, sexual uh, preference, for instance, in a workplace environment in ways they may not be expecting um so there there are kind of increased risks uh, associated with this um that aren't codified into you know harassment and equal opportunity regulations that kind of is how we we think primarily about sex in the workplace um or as ben said instrumentally around how do you keep your employees happy and get them hooked up to with each other <laughs> And then we also expand the discussion to sex work and how how certain brand kinds of work are assumed to be uh, unsafe or risky and on what purposes and how initiatives like the the Sesta Fosta um, actually makes sex work more risky and dangerous by removing um, sort of uh, online platforms and resources and, and networks that matter and how then sex workers try to sort of circumvent that and, and what sort of happens when in the name of safety, certain policies are implemented and actually that makes bodies less safe. Um, and then the work of porn um, as, as IT labor, when it becomes platformed and when money increasingly circulates in the kind of tech bro premium of, of IT labor, what risks are involved um, for whom when work is, um, when porn has become this kind of uh, gig economy uh, what it means uh, in terms of uh, pay, um, access to information about what's fair pay, for example, uh, precarity of, of careers. But then also we're looking at the ways in which Twitter in particular um, allows for different kind of publicity for uh, people in sex work or in, in, in porn to also challenge working practices that are problematic and create sort of public discussions around topics that probably wouldn't have been uh, much of an issue, let's say, 15 years ago. Yeah, and I suppose if you're banned from every other social media platform apart from Twitter, the opportunities for those conversations get a little bit more, more minimised. I want to go back to just something that Ben said there is all about that invasion of your home life with your work life at the moment, and then we'll throw in some masturbation into it as well. So I don't know if recently if you've heard about the the New York writer, and his name is escaping me a little bit, is it Jeffrey to Tumen, and he was caught masturbating at work because I think he flicked between Zoom screens and didn't realize which chat he was in, and he was masturbating. Um, I think at, at the moment he was just being suspended. I don't think he got fired, but the memes that that generated, and it, you know, he generated his own hashtag, which is like hashtag Me Tumen, and you know, <laughs> Zoom Dick became trending. It was like number one and stuff. So it's interesting to see how something like that becomes it like a meme within seconds of that news breaking and people already have visual and, you know, like videos and images and, and hashtags already like instantly across the globe, they, they can attack it. So um, how, like, how does that impact how we see these things? Well, I think within that case, there was just really the, at least for me, the interesting kind of uh, friction or, or, incompatibility around the lack of sexiness in most work Zoom meetings. Um, and then this kind of momentary titillation, I just seemed far removed from most of my, no offense to you people, we are here on Zoom, but <laughs> it's not something that I would usually um, associate with, with kind of office or project meetings, uh, especially since we sit on Zoom for like five hours a day these days. I think I also think it's quite interesting um, as a kind of inverse of what used to be the risk and the risk that's associated with nimping is that someone might see over your shoulder what you're doing, whereas now they're coming in through the screen uh, to your home as opposed to your home being displayed on the screen in your workplace. It's just a really interesting inversion. But in some ways it's the same dynamic. It's that that blurriness of work, home, personal, private, uh, uh, that has happened through social media just broadly, but also quite quite materially, uh, particularly in these COVID times when it's really, really, again, it's because it's such a shift to us still be working from home all of a sudden that, um, well, many of us, not all of us, um, that, that we see it. We see it as something new and challenging, but I think the same dynamic's been there for a while. Oh yeah, there's there's been people masturbating in bathrooms at work for a long, long, long time. It's not not just a Zoom thing. So yeah, Ben. 
Oh, no, was just, just a couple of mentions, really. I mean, it was, um, I think it's cock, it was either cock out at work or dick out at work, which was a particular strand of Tumblr before um, these were raised. And it was a series of pictures of people at their office desk um, in a warehouse. There's, there's one image that we collected that uh, actually has, you can actually work out who they work for. They've got their ID badge on as well so it's just these so so yes it has been as kind as it has been around for somewhere but but the discussion here as well is also reminding me of um the 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 the, the key role of devices and how things change over time as well so obviously the things like kind of the the element of um like media production software that we now all have access to and equipment that we all have access to allows for this response but also responses in different ways so um Kylie, you remember this, we had to re reimagine um, a whole like kind of new form of nymping in the sense of, um, the, I, I don't know if, you've, if people have seen the video, but it's a video on YouTube of a turtle getting a neck massage and it makes this uh, uh, uh noise. So it's kind of, and then you've got somebody stroking the neck. So you can imagine the action and then the noise that comes. Um, and the way that it had presented itself to us is that somebody had sent this and, and sent it to me and said, oh, this is a really nice picture. Um, and the idea is that you would open it in a public place. And it's not just the visual, because obviously it could be on your phone on the bus, as you were talking about earlier, but it's the noise as well. It's like, oh, the whole bus hears it. So like, you know, me and Kylie end up in this kind of faux kind of narrative. Oh, Ben, you've really, you've really, you've really shocked me. Ha, 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 ha. As it, so, but again, that, that relies on the role of, you know, the, the device as well and of the context, obviously, um, as well. So who knows what's, you know, what the... Um, the next bit of the kind of sort so uh, of how this is going to manifest itself because we are all aware of um and I've, I've seen it myself we're aware of like people doing the whole thing where they walk into the the room nude where somebody's zooming at, at work you know and i always wonder now if i see somebody instantly start laughing or something i'm thinking what the heck has gone off in that room behind the scenes that i cannot see because something has you know something's something's occurred there uh, that kind of like you know kitchen trolling as it were uh, Wasn't yeah. there someone caught with their mistress because of that? So she was walking naked in the background and his wife was like, oh, <laughs> who's that in, in your in her home? So, yeah, interesting impact on relationships and marriages. But well, speaking of, of dick pics, like and, and like you said, you know, you might be just scrolling on your phone on, on a bus or whatever. And then all of a sudden you might get a dick pic. And I suppose that you can't control who's going to see that around you. But dick pics are... A thing. Um, they're they're complex, I suppose. Um, and we have touched on this before. It was in episode uh thirty three, with Nicola Fox Hamilton. So she re researches dating apps and the likes of Tinder and stuff. So she was saying that she found the men who spoke to her about why they send dick pics. They said they didn't really realize that me that women and again this is very hetero, um, didn't like it. They just thought like, well, I want to see them nude, so I I'll send them a dick pic because. They want to see me nude, and this is what we're here for. We're here to see people having sex, and I was like, "Are, are people really that clueless? Like, have they missed the whole conversation about how most women don't want to see this, especially in an unconsensual or unsolicited form? Um, you know, after you consent to it, you know, that's a whole different story. But what are your thoughts on on that kind of the unsolicited aspect of of the dick pic? I mean, I. I'm happy to start, but on since I'm, you have I'm, a penis, Ben, you can penis, go. Yes, first. Uh, uh, that's an assumption. Uh, um, yeah. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, on the unsolicited front, I, I, I suppose I, I'm I'm not the best authority to speak on this, but I think in, in the sense that, uh, but I think what you did say, sorry, was that. Um, the whole issue of consent was the thing that, that that comes up with this. Even my aunt, who's now passed away, kind of when I, when I, when the book came out, opened the book. I gave her the copy of the book. Very forward looking. She looked through it. It fell open at dick pics on the dick pics chapter. She kind of speed reads like read through. She said, well, and just shut the book. And then she went, yeah, it's all about consent, really, isn't it? And I thought, well, actually, it is an eighty-four-year-old woman who get you know get who gets it. You know, you know, very happy to receive them, but only under certain you know, under certain conditions. And I think that's, for me, around like the unsolicited side of things. It's that it's not even necessarily that they're, um, I suppose there is that consent there. It's like sometimes you might get one and you ask for it. So it might not even be solicited, but it's okay because it's in, in very particular kind of conditions. And I think the reason that we kind of devoted a big chunk of um, the book to this, well, at least a, a chapter on it, as it were, is 
at, at the time we were we were looking at this as well, it, that was, it was very much the narrative of these are being sent to people who don't want them. You know, straight men are sending them to straight women, and that was the dominant narrative around dicks and and the internet basically at that, at that point, and still persists. You know, kind of somewhat now. Whereas again, what, what, again, what we tried to do is kind of unpack that and say, well, actually, there are. There are straight women out there who like them under certain conditions. That you know, there are different um, people of different genders who like them of different. You know, um, there are, are straight guys that will send them to each other. Um, no, no homo. You know, they. You know, um, gay guys like sharing them. Some gay guys don't want to see them. You know, it's, it's talking about like kind of dating. You know, platforms, which is an area that I've looked at um, for a while. It is very common to see gay men say on their profile. I do not want to see a picture of your dick, thank you very much, um, or your ass. I mean, that's the other thing as well. It's, it's dick pics. It's not kind of goatsy pics or ass pics or anything. You know, it's those are the things that are that are picked out as as being you know kind of the dick is the thing that is seen as you know um, inappropriate, um, as it were. So I don't know if anybody else wants to come in, but I just thought I'd, I'd open with that to start with. Yeah, open with ass pics. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Well, well, what think- about Suzanne? Yeah. Well, I think the majority of discussion on 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 dick pics is, is about kind of dick pics as a form of gendered harassment, and a, and a form of violence, um, kind of symbolic violence, if you like. Um, but then there is also a strand of uh, of research that looks at uses of humour, uh, and how also new like how sexting and nude pictures become gendered in particular ways. So the female body is sort of coded as being sexual, whereas male bodies can sort of have a broader spectrum of, of opportunities to um, amuse and to disgust and do all kinds of work through humor as well. But we we wrote the dick pic chapter when Tumblr was still going strong. So we're looking at um, the ambiguity of dick pics from, from Triangle. So looking at dick pics as a form of harassment, which is the bulk of public debate around them, unsolicited dick pics as form of male violence. Um, and then we look at humor uh, in particular to Tumblr galleries of um, of uh, dick pic fancy, kind of aficionado. So there's the kind of curating, the aesthetics of the dick pic. Uh, so we looked at the dicks out at work, um, kind of humorous dick things, galleries dedicated to certain kind of dicks. So this kind of appreciation mixed in with humor. And then there's a section on, on dick pics in, in gay hookup apps um, and the kind of now you see it, now you don't, um, politics of that, with the idea that you can also talk about dick pics as connected to sexual desire. Uh, you can talk about ambiguity of affect, um, sort of to get away from this narrow understanding of what dick pics are and how they operate, because it's like ubiquitous. Um, so, for example, I mean, the actor Captain America uh, accidentally shared his dick pic when he was trying to do something on Instagram and the, his kind of film role uh was uh, exposed. So these kind of accidental dick pics also do happen. And that sort of speaks to uh, how common that practice is. I mean, one really has to be careful when showing pictures from a cell phone that you don't cross over to, to the late evening pictures yeah, that, that you don't really folder. intend to share. Yeah. yeah. Or just don't swipe on someone's phone. Do you ever, if you hand your phone to someone and they just start swiping and you're like, no, 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 <laughs> just stay away from, from those pictures. So, yeah. Ben, you want to come in some more on oh, that? I was just going to say, that is like a Bob the Drag Queen joke. It's part of it. It's like the whole thing. A gay man will never give you his phone to show you a picture. <laughs> he will just show you the picture. You will not be given the phone to swipe left or right. Do not go left or right, because there will be something there that will not be a stereotype, I know, but it's one that I find amusing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, basic the, manners. Yeah, basic manners, yeah. Um, the, but the other, just the thing as well, talking about this, though, and, and the whole kind of going back to this kind of regulation of dicks and things as well reminded me of again of a, a thing that we've sort of touched upon but not so much is the whole automation of this as well of of moderation so whilst you mentioned earlier caroline i think that this idea of the, the, the like a depression in in a woman's breast and how you know on the flip side of it my experience is also that the software that is used is just not incredibly accurate in many ways, and then we do talk about that in the book in relation to, I think it's images of um, women's genitalia. And uh, I'm right, I'm right, aren't Susanna? I think I am. Yeah, it's about the kind of experiments in, in kind of AI image detection uh, where you get 
algorithmically generated images that don't represent anything but are marked as being sexually explicit because there's something oh, there that yeah. might be like, like fruit a, or something or yeah. some or just a strange right. landscape, alien yeah, landscape yeah. that's considered marked as not safe for work. That's the parameter well, sure, used how, there. How could you design a software that is like, oh, this is a vulva when they come in so many different shapes and sizes? Is it like, oh, anything that's randomly slightly oval shape with a line somewhere in it? Like, because they're, they're so weird and wonderful and, and come in so many different shapes and sizes and colors. So how, are we just homogenizing that process? Yes, um, there's a <laughs> wonderful article, uh, maybe three years old now. It's by Robert Gale and his team. And they went through 102, I think, articles on um, kind of image recognition software used for porn, porn filtering. Um, and, and sort of they looked at what goes uh, into that literature that is sort of the basis for training algorithms to do building algorithms and then priming them to do certain things. And they argue that the way that porn uh, is understood is that it's porn is pictures of women that men look at, that sex involves female bodies and young, white, thin bodies. Um, and that's about it. So the work penis doesn't appear once um, in their data set. So they sort of argue that what algorithms are, are primed to do is they recognize young female bodies as sites of kind of sexual titillation and obscenity at the same time. And that's where the focus uh, lingers on. So it's very kind of generic. And when it comes to different body sizes or, or, or skin hues, uh, that's when trouble happens. Like with the, when Tumblr introduced the porn ban and they, they set the algorithmic, the algorithmic filters to like 11. So everything got flagged as sexually explicit from pictures of whales to Donald Duck putting his nephews to sleep. So Disney was sexually explicit in this Disneyfied version of social media. Uh, images of black women fully dressed uh, were flagged as being sexually explicit. And it's a similar logic that happens on Instagram, where especially gender non-conforming bodies, larger bodies, um, are those that get either flagged by other users as offensive or then uh, algorithmically flagged because the parameters uh, through which the, or upon which the algorithms operate are very, very, they are narrow uh, and very predictable. And I was just going to add in there, um, Suzanne, as well, because I think although, again, we're saying that like kind of the, the, they don't, the algorithms not, don't necessarily work at the same time, they, they, they do to some extent as well, which is weird. So for just recently, I mean, but both, and I don't think it's happened to you yet, Kylie, but me and Susanna are both regularly kind of banned for putting various things on that we shouldn't put. But the most recent banning I had was I was on a beach taking photographs of this installation and it was a, an artist that had made casts of their body, a, a male artist. Um, and the beach full of families, you know, like they were putting toddlers on taking pictures. And I put a picture of that statue on, on one of the statues on Facebook, which has a penis and a pair of male presenting nipples. Um, my friend was also with me on the same day, took a photo, but cut it at the um, belly button. Um, I, was, I was kind of thrown off Facebook for a few days because it could work out that the penis was there, but the male presenting nipples were fine, obviously because my mates wasn't like taken up. So there is a degree of obviously work going into these algorithms to make them work in certain ways, or there's emphasis placed in the same way as I suppose you talk about the indentation on the, on, on the, on the woman's breast. There's that, there's that level of carefulness that's going in in certain ways, which again, I think speaks back to the whole point of the book really is this like, well, why is it that certain things get written in and written out as being like safe or acceptable um, in, in broader terms? We also have to factor in the, the human content moderators who do a lot of the work that we think is an AI or an algorithm. And it's, it's a human uh, with, a, with a guidebook that is quite opaque. Um, the only, we've only seen them because they've been leaked out of uh, the content moderators. There's non-disclosure agreements about what they are for workers. Um, and it's horrible work by all accounts. Um, and yeah, so, we, so the, the, there's a real opacity about what and how and why um, 
stuff gets flagged, stuff gets banned. I, I, I have to say I have not yet been put into Facebook jail. These two quite regularly <laughs> went into Facebook jail. When we were writing the book, actually, it was kind of interesting having back-channel conversations on various social media platforms and, and stuff getting banned and flagged. And um, interestingly, Susanna's emails always went into my junk folder. Ben's were fine. It was just, it was, it's kind of interesting. And then I've tried to reply, I've, I've had the title of our book, um, in um, my SIG file, my emails, and occasionally it bounces. I was trying to send something to someone in India and I couldn't figure out why it kept bouncing. And then I took the title of that book out and it was fine, it went through. So there's there's all kinds of ways in which just even the slightest thing, like having not safe for work somewhere in your SIG file will just put up a big wall uh, in, in, in the ways you can communicate and the kind of information you can get. It's um, It's increasingly... Uh, weird out there I think it's very puritan kind of approach and yeah I suppose as, as we're seeing the resurgence of certain political views and certain uh conservative to be polite uh viewpoints on on sex it's it's an interesting thing to see how social media and you know its users really kind of either push back against that or encourage that that censorship going forward and what well, I suppose what the end results of that are going to be especially hopefully now and 2021 is going to be hopefully a new year with, with new politicians in charge and uh yeah and a new kind of push back against those things but sure look we'll wait and see but um th- thank you all so much for for joining me like that's absolutely fascinating to kind of I suppose pull apart because we're all on social media all the time you know and, and we're all sexual beings or most of us or we're at least thinking about it anyway so it's interesting to see how all those those things intersect together so um where can people find yourselves and where can people find the book if they want to grab a copy and the book's available from mit press uh, and good retailers everywhere um but yes it's an mit press book um and you can usually buy them on amazon unfortunately uh that's the kind of direct route mit take you to um but try not to give jeff bezos any more money he doesn't need it um local booksellers exactly find a local bookseller and make them order it in um but um you know i'm on twitter <laughs> do you want to give us your your, hashtag, your handle? <laughs> uh, i'm at cars jarrett on twitter k-y-l-z-j-a-r-r-e-t-t on twitter and susanna well i'm on twitter i'm really crap with twitter but i'm, I'm on in so um, i'm at susanna parson and all all spelled together but I'm, I'm easy to find on the interwebs. I think there are a couple of other people with the same name as mine, but I'm easier to find. I always feel sorry for my, for the people sharing my name if they're trying to look for kind of honourable employment. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, sure, look, I have the same problem with my porn star um, name lookalike person. So an interesting one. And then Ben? Um, I have recently left Twitter, so I am no longer, you will not find me on Twitter, but you can Google me or you can find me on my uh, personal website, which is just benlight.me. Um, so it's easy enough to kind of, uh, yeah, get me that way. Brilliant. And um, th- yeah, thank you so much. And, and I'd absolutely urge everyone to go out and read the book because it's just that fascinating deep dive in, into all these things. And, and I suppose they're all very relevant and they're still going to be absolutely relevant going forward as we live online for the foreseeable future. So, um, and we try not to get put in Facebook jail. So that's um, a good, interesting thing. And um, thanks to all my listeners. If you want to find us, we are on Twitter and Instagram. It's Glow West Podcast on both platforms. And um, you can drop me a DM if there's any topics or subjects that you want to cover. Um, as I said at the start of the show, please pop over to Patreon patreon and you know that really does kind of help keep the mics going so that's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack and we will see you next week <laughs>